Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today's episode is sponsored by Charlene's Home Cooking on 1136 East Blackstock Road in Moore, South Carolina. Charlene's Home Cooking is a family restaurant that cooks like grandma with fresh veggies and meats cooked to order. You can do a meat with two sides, a meat with three sides, or a veggie plate along with sweet tea, Kool-Aid, and lemonade. Cakes, pies, and cobbler are also available for dessert. She wants you to feel at home anytime you visit, so make sure you stop by Monday, Thursday, and Saturday from 11 to 6, Friday, Sunday from 11 to 7. Everything is fresh and from the heart, and she would love for you to visit her sometime. Now, we know things are a little different right now with the virus going on, so of course, if you do stop by, of course, it is takeout only right now. But nevertheless, thank you, Miss Charlene, for being the sponsor for the Cross the Line podcast once again. But today, with so much going on, it feel like it just the timing of this interview was necessary. It was perfect timing. Um, we have a very special guest with us today, um, entrepreneur. He's a pharmacist, philanthropist, the CEO of Premier Pharmacy and Wellness Center, Dr. Martez Prince. How are you? I'm doing well. What about yourself? Doing just fine. I, I just want to thank you. Like I said, this is the perfect time with so much going on. Um, a lot of information out there people are taking in and it's uh, kind of scary at times for a lot of people because they don't really know what's going on. So we're definitely going to talk about the virus. Um, thank you for, once again for having us here in, up in Charlotte with you. But um, we're, like I said, we'll talk about the virus and some more things. But first, let's start off um, with you, um, Mr. Prince. How was it for you getting into the medical field? Was it always your dream growing up? Well, um, I wouldn't say like always my dream mm-hmm. like from a child or anything like that. However, I have been in the medical field or specifically in the pharmacy arena since I was 16. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, <laughs> I tell this story about reading a textbook in class and um, talking about what exactly I wanted to do. And it was kind of like one of those check boxes where, okay, you check here if this applies to you. And then everything all kind of lined up to be pharmacy. And mm-hmm. so from there, um, we had a Black-owned pharmacy in my hometown. I'm from Fort Pierce, Florida. Okay. Um, very small town. And I kind of shared that I thought I had an interest in pharmacy with my parents. Um, then they set me up with a with Mr. Leith, um, now Dr. Leith, um, as a clerk there. So I started my first job in the pharmacy profession was as a cashier or clerk, making $5.15 an hour. That's big. And were you, um, so you are, would you say you are the first generation entrepreneur in your family um, or your family, your parents entrepreneur? I know you say that they uh, connected you with another entrepreneur as well. Yeah. So um, I am a first generation entrepreneur. Um, I, to be honest with you, even um, during that time of working in an independent pharmacy, one of the things that grew my love for the profession was how much the community relied on Dr. Lee, like for medical advice or whatever it was, they kind of wanted to hear his opinion before they um, decided they would go to the emergency room or, you know, contact their doctor. They kind of wanted to go in with the baseline knowledge of whatever it was that was going on with them. And when I seen that respect that they had for him, I said, you know what, I really admire this and I like what's going on. I think I kind of want to go into that um, path as well. Um, So at that time, I did think that I wanted to own a pharmacy, but um, I went to 
Um, I'm a 2010 graduate of Florida A&M University where I received my doctorate. Okay. And um, at the time when I graduated, it just wasn't really or it didn't seem like there was a market for independent pharmacies. Um, between the time when I entered college in 2004 um, to the end of my um, doctorate degree in 2010, um, the market had gotten really bad. Um, mm -hmm. There was independent pharmacies that were open. They were starting to close. Um, it just didn't seem like it was a really good fit. Um, you know, it didn't make any sense. So right. that was like very far off my radar. And then I worked for a um, major corporation or a big box chain drugstore for five years. I did, um, I was a pharmacy manager with them and everything. But one of the things that I realized was that even working in this area of pharmacy, of um, retail pharmacy, I couldn't affect the community the way that I really truly wanted to, like I seen Dr. Leaf do, um, and that was due to like the corporate limitations. And so that is what really kind of like sparked my interest into creating the ideal situation of what a pharmacy should be. Right. And that's why I opened Premier Pharmacy and Wellness Center in 2015. Um, you know, when you say something is premier, it kind of sets the standards. Right, exactly. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to set the standard of what I thought pharmacy should be. Um, I worked in an underserved community when I was in the big box drugstore. However, although I worked in the underserved community, the corporation didn't necessarily care about that community. They Absolutely. just, you know, and I seen the individuals that were um, being impacted and how much they respected me. And so I said, you know what? I really want to do more, but in order for me to do more, I'm going to have to step out on my own and do this. And then that's kind of how this all started. So to answer your question, didn't really have an entrepreneurship um, or any um, family that was in it or anything like that. It kind of just something that just kind of happened. Absolutely. And one of the things I like to ask entrepreneurs as well was um, for you, when when did you know it was time for you to you know create your own? I know you said that you felt like you couldn't do more for your community, but you know a lot of times entrepreneurs will eventually like save up and then go ahead and invest. Some people will just go, go ahead and just stop what they're doing and step out. So what was that like for you when you finally took that leap of faith? I'm kind of the second way. I just kind of like just stepped out and did it. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that um, I would say that my last year in working for the big box drugstore, I was having this recurring dream all the time about um, and I'm, I'm a big believer in like signs and, and confirmations and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So I was having this dream that um, I was graduating from pharmacy school. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is every time that I would go to graduate, um, my they would get ready to call my name and for some strange reason I would always miss it I would always miss my name being called I was like not in line I, it, it was crazy mm -hmm. and so I um, maybe after having that dream about 15 times I finally decided one morning let me just google like you know what this mean of course that's going to open up a lot of people's opinion of what's what and um, and it said that it means that where you are in life, you've kind of mastered that and it's time to move on. Mm. And so when I got that, you know, confirmation from Google that, you know, maybe I should consider moving on. Um, and, and the crazy thing was I was sitting down with a friend at lunch and, um, we were just talking about how we both were just bitten about our job with both pharmacists. And I was just kind of jokingly saying like, you know, I really like pharmacy. I really like what I do. However, if I had an opportunity to create a pharmacy or if we had our own pharmacy, this is what I would do. And that small little 
like tagline or conversation grew into what it is today as Premier Pharmacy. And so um, that day immediately, um, I was meeting another friend that night for drinks. And I mentioned to him that I, um, that I think I wanted to open the pharmacy. And the good thing was I was talking to the right two individuals that kind of like gave me that confirmation, that positivity that I needed to mm-hmm. allow my vision to kind of start to ramp and, and, and flow. Mm-hmm. And so once that happened, um, really, it was about um, 90 days from that day that I actually opened Premier Pharmacy and Wellness Center. That's awesome. So how was it in those opening days? Did you was it hard to kind of get people to come in or how, how was it in the very beginning? Do you remember those moments? Um, no, it, it wasn't. It was, it was kind of a mixture. So uh, one of the things was um, the financing of Premier Pharmacy and Wellness Center. So I strategically, where I was working before, it was considered a conflict of interest to even like uh, work for another you know pharmacy right. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to keep all that like um, a secret until I was ready to actually to um, to walk away from my job. Right. That was the only job that I've ever had. I was 24 when I graduated. Um, you know, I had benefits, 401k, all that good stuff. So it was kind of scary. Like, oh mm-hmm. man, like well, I'm gonna walk away from this. this. Is what most people actually pray for, or um, or whatnot. Um, but um, walking away uh, from that and starting to prepare myself for this job, I had to really take it seriously. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I needed was financing. And of course, like there's so many strikes against you when you're trying to, um, a first time entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. a first time black entrepreneur trying to get some financing or some money from um, some banks or whatever. So that wasn't going to happen. But what I did was I utilized my network of friends who we bought sections in the club with um, like, so like, don't let it fool you that I'm just like, you know, all about work and this and that, but I like to have fun. And so Absolutely. I, you know, before that we traveled a lot, we, um, you know, bought thousand dollar sections just to waste it and everything like that. So I realized that we, we, we have money that we money. excess mm-hmm. money right here within this little small circle that maybe I could, you know, um, tap into. And so I presented my friends. I spent every day when I got home from work, I um, did some research, put together a presentation, about 40 slides. I invited all my friends over for dinner and wine. And I presented in my living room using Apple TV. And it was like, yeah, like you, you can you can chill out, you can sit down. Like you know, I'm like, no, nah, I wanna, I want you guys to see this as something serious. I want you guys to take this as something serious. And leading up to that, um, I kind of just placed the bug in the air and said, hey, I have something that I want to share with you, and it's specifically for you. Save the day. And those friends came over, and when I presented to them, I got a hundred percent commitment from them that they would actually help me fund the project. But going into it, I knew that in order for me to um, expect someone else to fund the project, I too had to be willing to make a sacrifice or to take a risk. And so I showed them what I thought I needed, what I was willing to contribute and what I needed from them. And, um, and I also had a plan B in case it didn't work out for me with them. Um, but everyone was on board, was able to get the funding together. Um, I gave them two weeks 
they gave me the checks, I deposited them, filed the papers, and you know, um, next thing I know, we were on our way to actually opening the farm, like you know, to me putting everything together, uh, finding this. I had found the space even before I presented with them. I did all my homework uh, from that perspective, but I was still working at um, a large retailer, mm-hmm. and I really needed to work up until the date that I had in my mind when I was going to quit because I wanted to be um, financially secure. With, um, I knew that walking away, I was not going to pay myself when I first started out because I was going to be the biggest expense if I had to pay myself. So I wanted to uh, make sure that I could continue to live the lifestyle that I had already kind of um, created for myself with, of course, reasonable adjustments, like mm-hmm. things that I could live without. But I calculated how much it took for me to live for the next year, you know, with eliminating all the un- unnecessary, unnecessary expenses. Mm-hmm. And I um, pushed it. I got that number in my head. I needed to work up until that date. And I remember my friend, she actually wrote my letter of recommendation, uh, letter of resignation for me. And she sent it to me and I copied it, pasted it and sent it to my supervisor. And the next morning I showed up to work, he was there. And the crazy thing was um, typically if they had done their homework, then they would have like looked me up and seen that I was registered as a pharmacy manager at Premier Pharmacy and Wellness Center, which they would have really um, started to do research and figure out what was going on. But because I was black, they probably said uh, they didn't think much they didn't of, think it. Much of yeah. it. And exactly why I was leaving and, you know, wanted me to stay. And I was like, well, I, I can't stay. I've already made commitments somewhere else. And um, that was that. And I left it very open. Mm-hmm. But opening the doors, um, planning that, I shared it with um, about 20 friends that flew in um, to celebrate with me on the opening of Premier Pharmacy and Wellness wow. Center. I was like still very hopeful. And one of my things and one of my um, suggestions to other entrepreneurs is when you're starting on something and you're starting to process, uh, um, to, to do something, you should always kind of like launch it and celebrate. And so I kind of made it bigger than just like me opening doors one day. What I wanted to do was I wanted to create an atmosphere where I brought all my friends together to see what I was doing. I called it the first look mm-hmm. and I hosted a um, uh, black tie dinner for my friends that was in town that all came to help me celebrate. But I wanted basically to show others what I was doing so that they can hold me accountable for what I was doing. And a lot of times people don't want to share what they're doing because they're afraid if they fail, people are going to judge them. So, but by you actually putting it out there, it makes you work harder. It makes you, um, you know, know that others know what's going on and you want to be, you know, the best example for other people as well. Exactly. And so, um, I had this party, um, we launched on October 3rd, which was also FAMU. I graduated from FAM uh, Founders Day. And I strategically did that because I wanted to pay homage to the school and that I got nice my big. degree from. And also, but what it did was it kind of catapulted me before I even opened the doors officially on the to um, fill the first prescription. Wow. And so um, I remember had everyone here at the pharmacy. We it was all family and friends. We prayed and everything. And then that night was having a black tie event. Well, by the time I made it to the black tie event, 
like we had already gone viral and we hadn't even opened the doors to fill the prescription wow. um, and it was more so due to leveraging the network that I had from my HBCU family to them celebrating um, the fact that one of their alumni was opening a pharmacy and from there um, did some um, interviews with like official Black Wall Street and then like um, Baller Alert and different things like that so those um, allowed for us to of course get the exposure that we wouldn't be able to afford or pay for as a small business or starting out, you know, um, while we're building our clientele. Mm -hmm. And the good thing was um, I treated the community so well that when they found out that we were open, they immediately started to um, support. support. Yeah. And um, because I was unable to tell any of the patients that I was actually leaving due to the fact that I needed to work up until the last day. Right. So I kind of had to strategically do that. And, um, but we got the support. Now I would say that, of course, there was times during those first like months um, where I'm sitting here tracking, trying to figure out if we're on track or if we're not on track and like um, wondering if I made the right decision right. or, you know, and all those things, which could be very scary times. But the good thing was because I eliminated the, um, the financial stress of my own personal finances. And I knew that the business financially was okay for right now. Like we had the money to, to uh, I had the money to pay the employees. I had the money to, um, which I started off with two employees and me making the third, but I could afford those things. And I think a lot of times when people go out on their own into the entrepreneurship world, they, um, they spend a lot of time stressing on how they're going to a pay the bills of the business they started mm-hmm. and then how they're going to pay the bills um, in their personal life as well. Right, right. And we've got to always remember that the business and the personal life is completely separate. And um, when you have, when you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay your personal bills while you're trying to run a business, it distracts you from being able to actually grow your business to where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I could, I didn't have to focus on that. I was solely focused on the business. I was the only pharmacist that worked here um, Monday through Saturday. Um, every day I was here um, and I had one technician and one guy that worked our front end. And that was and who doubled as a delivery driver. Um, it was important to me that I had friend, a guy who, owned a pharmacy um, that only started with themselves at first. And we grew at a much faster rate than he did. One, we leveraged social media. And then two, um, by having those employees, I was able to give them tasks to do things. And I could continue to build the business on the other side. Right. I mean, because a lot of times people don't really understand or realize that, you know, when you are an entrepreneur, you are the head of marketing, you're the head of uh, you got your hands on everything you got everything on you running hr you're doing all these Mm -hmm. things and if you don't feel like oh you don't need hr you don't you don't you know if you think small like that then you'll always stay small Mm -hmm. you know but we always here always thought of being bigger than what we were so we always treat ourselves as a corporation from the first day that we opened the doors we always kind of had that mindset of this is who we are and see who we're going to be, and we grew into that. Let me, let me, I want to go back to something else you said real quick um, when you were talking about leaving your other job and you said your friend typed up your letter of recognition. Talk to me about how it was um, 
how was that feeling knowing that you were walking away from your job? And then how how was it? How did they treat you knowing that you finally were leaving? Because a lot of times, you know, jobs can, can, can in a sense feel like you rely on them for your income. To a certain degree, you do need that income to take care of what you need to. But talk about how it was to have that burden off of you where now you're on your own. You don't have to rely on them. And then how was that relationship with the people when you finally left? Yeah, so the, the thing he said was burden. That's like, a, a, a definitely. I remember um, I, I remember this like day very vividly. Like um, I only gave them a two-week um, two week notice that I was resigning. And I um, and that was three weeks before I opened the doors here. Mm-hmm. And I'd say I was going to give myself a one-week break. And then I was going to, um, two weeks before we opened, I was going to show up here every day the hours that we were going to be open, like as if I was going to work, putting in the time here, getting to the place where I needed to be to open the doors. Mm-hmm. But sitting at that dining room table when I was reading over the letter of resignation that my friend had typed up from me, it was like I was my, my, my thumb was shaking before I hit send, you know, from my cell phone. I'm like, man, this is this is crazy. But I knew once I hit send, it was gonna be over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it, it kind of like was in the back of my mind the rest the rest of that night I kind of had like you know um, uneasiness in my stomach butterfly however the next morning I woke up and I opened my eyes I felt a huge um, sense of relief and right. I was at peace and I felt like a burden had been lifted off me and so from there I um, I knew I had made the right decision and um and I kind of knew before that because everything was like going right on, on target as like as as you know within reason. So um, that's to all the listeners knowing that things are not going to go exactly how you you try to plan out everything to the day and all that and all that. It's not going to go like that. But I mean, within reason, things were lining up the way that I envisioned or had written them to be. And also, sometimes when things don't line up the way that you think they should. You gotta sometimes check your research and make sure that you actually did all the research that you were supposed to do. Maybe you missed something, so that's why things aren't lined up exactly. And it's okay. You throw that back in there mm-hmm. and get back on it. But I definitely um, felt relief. Um, I, with my staff, I've always been a people's person. So like, um, I remember maybe a couple of days after that, I told my staff that I was leaving and. Um, I knew that was going to be hard because I had built such a close relationship with all my staff and everything. Uh, well, one of my um, techs ended up coming to work for me. Um, so she was very supportive. And then all my other technicians that I hired, they all, um, when I left, they ended up leaving as well. Wow. Um, I couldn't afford at that time to hire them due to the fact that we, I was on a strict budget of who I could afford and what I could afford. Um, but um, they, you know, they supported me in everything. They believed in what I had, what I was doing. Um, even that last day, uh, I didn't tell any patients that I was leaving because I didn't want to create any conflict. However, the patients were coming by. They had told the, they threw me a party the last day and the patients were coming by and they, um, was like, you know, wishing me well, but I still couldn't tell them where I was going, but they were very appreciative of right. everything I had done for them. Um, then the actual corporation itself, once I left and they figured out what I was doing, 
um, because when we first opened and I sent out a, a mailer that said, you know, um, you know, something to the extent of I'm still, you know, I may not be like, I'm still your pharmacist. I'm just at, I just have a new home or something like that, which was right. giving the patients in the zip code um, area an opportunity to know that I had relocated and opened my own pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, it was like the, like between weeks, the end of week one and two that I had opened the doors, um, playing the miller. And man, we did like 90 transfers, like in one week of patient wow. profiles and stuff. And uh, and it was crazy, the love and support. Um, I started to realize that, yeah, this is where I'm, we're on the right path. And um, one day I look up and I had one of my old patients like at the register checking out. And it was kind of like a commercial. She was like saying like how much she loved being old, like um, the pharmacy and how personal it was. And she was like, uh, you know, just giving me all these praises and standing behind her was my old district manager who came down to tell me that um, that they basically, I needed to bear with them that they were trying to transfer the prescriptions to me. And at the same time, they didn't want me back. Um, they didn't want me to come back on location there um, to the pharmacy and stuff like that. And mm. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's cool um, or whatnot. But um, so, but it all worked out. It, it, it was, it was, um, it was cool, but I still had a lot of friends that was still working for the corporation, um, that would tell me that my name came up on conference calls for like the next two years wow. as to like, um, the impact that I had made and, um, and everything and how they thought that, um, I was taking a large volume of the business from, um, the area in which I used to work at. And it's cause it's something out of the norm that we don't necessarily see all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks a lot about your character as well, because how you treated those people while you were there at your other job and how they finally transferred over, that says a lot about you and how you treated these people. Because I always say people will always remember how you made them feel. So if you make them feel special and welcome and like family, they'll, they'll do anything for you. And like, they were just able to like, transfer over. So I think that speaks a lot about you as a person. And and speaking on jobs as well, it's like you said, that burden. Um, I remember recently speaking to a young lady uh, and she was telling me, you know, one day she just was at home and she just broke down crying because she was in a place of like where she knew she had to go back to work and she was just so unhappy at her job. And she was like, she just, you know, I think she was like 28, 29. And she's like, she's not where she wants to be in life. And she was just like, she really didn't want to go back to this job, even though she does. She does nails. She does nails on the side as well. But, she, you know, she was still trying to get her business off the ground. Mm-hmm. But she was just, you know, just down because she didn't want to be at this job so bad. But but hearing that story, I think she'll really appreciate that as well, because it's it's something that a lot of people and I tell people I'm 27 and I should be 28 next week, next Monday. Okay. But uh, it's one of those things where I, I have days where I'm like, man, you know what? I feel like this might be the day where I really want to just step out on faith and just and just leave this job because it's just like, you know, working for somebody else. There's nothing wrong with having a job, but it's like so much more fulfilling when you're doing something of your own. That's why we love doing this podcast as well and because we get to connect with people and, and build these relationships. And, and hearing your stories is, is very inspiring. So I'm, I'm always thankful to hear stuff like that. It is funny that I'm, I'm an Aries as well, so my birthday is on. April 5th but um we tend to like um to to do that kind of thing like jump out go zero to 100 mm-hmm. and um we kind of like see the whole 
the, the end goal, the end picture, and people don't quite understand the vision and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and to the young lady that you were just speaking about, I let her know that like I was 29 too when I um, took that 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 leap. I was right after my 29th birthday, mm-hmm. and I like to tell individuals that um, what I've identified was success is like a a pyramid and it has three components to it. So the bottom component is the um, idea of success, which is built off of the world and how the world identifies success. And it's Mm -hmm. usually materialistic things and stuff like that. So thankfully that I was able to um, make really good money starting out, um, that I was able to secure like the house and the car and all those things. And the house that I had purchased, and, and, and I like to talk about these things to drop gems to individuals on who are thinking about potentially maybe um, what they should do and what order they should do it in. Mm-hmm. But the house that I had purchased had, had some equity in it. And that was actually my plan B. I was willing to risk, um, you know, I was willing to take, I feel like I was 29 and I was going to take out a home equity loan to start this pharmacy because it was something that I deeply believed in. I um, felt like the community needed it. And it was missing. And I remember telling, um, praying and saying, you know, God, if I could just make enough money where I could afford my bills and not have to worry about how I'm going to pay my bills, because I grew up like with my parents struggling and trying to figure out how they were going to pay bills and stuff. And I was finally out of that situation. And so I didn't want to go back there. Right. But um, it's, for me, it wasn't about the money at all. It was about me doing something that I felt very passionate about and that I felt like the community really needed. And mm-hmm. so I think that by me having or a nice income to uh, to get the house and the car and all that stuff at first, I was able to unlock that first level of success. And then once you do that, you start to dig deeper and start to realize that like I'm doing this, but I don't feel fulfilled and I'm not really operating my passion. And so mm-hmm. that's where I was at that point when I opened the pharmacy, I was like trying to figure out like how I had met society's um, definition of success, but now I'm trying to figure out how do I feel fulfilled? And I grew up like doing community service. Most Saturdays of the month, you could find me with my, like with some organization doing community service. And I felt like at that point, all I was doing was going to work, you know, making money so that I can afford to go on vacations and do these things. And the reason why I was going on vacations was because I wanted to escape the bad work environment. Right. You know, and so I'm I'm going out on vacation so that I could get the energy just to come back and even deal with this. And so coming back, um, then I was able to find out my passion was with the community. And so community was something that I had a very, you know, um, deep passion for. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of like how the pharmacy was birthed. And then I think the, that top tier of success is the personal success where you start to think about your like personal relationships and who you're sharing that success with. Mm-hmm. And I heard I heard all the time that success is subjective. Like, how, what do you view your success as? But do you think that's what separates people from each other at that level of achievement entrepreneurs and, and greatness is that they're willing to you know bet on themselves and take that chance not knowing what's on the other side as opposed to you know certain people just playing it safe do you think that's what it is it's like you were saying like you just took that chance and you, you had a backup plan 
but you were still willing to bet on yourself knowing what the outcome could be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you had to get to a point where you say that I felt like I gave um, I gave the corporate America life or the big box drugstore five years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to, to accumulate all these materialistic things or whatnot. When I moved here, like I said, I, I probably I think I graduated and I got some graduation gifts and I moved here. I probably had about $200 to my name and I just took a chance of coming to from Florida, driving across to North Carolina and starting this whole new career thing. Mm-hmm. And I and I looked at where I was in my life at that point And I said, you know what? If I gave this a shot and it didn't work out and I went back down to having zero, I knew that I could accumulate those things again in the next five years. Right. So I said, I, I thought I at least owed it to myself for me to take a chance on me. Right. And so, and I think that everyone, you know, um, it's easy for us to be safe and to do that. But if you really truly want to like find happiness, um, I think that you should, you know, bet on yourself. And I'm not saying that everybody should be an entrepreneur because they can't, right. because, you know, we need people to work. You Absolutely. Know? Um, mm-hmm. However, I think that, um, you know, you should take a job. Maybe it's, you know, you want to support a, a friend who's an entrepreneur and you want to um, go and, and work with them. You know, um, because you your passion out aligns with what they are um, doing. Absolutely. So I think definitely you should bet on yourself. Like you said, you can support them or like you said, we have to have people in these jobs or whatever. And, and just to have that support means a lot as well. So but I want to ask you, you say you're from Florida and you came here. What what made you want to come up this way? I mean, I was born and raised in Florida, went to school in Florida, was there all my life. And so when I graduated, the market, um, there's like six pharmacy schools in Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, I was so I was open. I knew that it would be, uh, we would compete for jobs with it being so many graduates at one time. And I did an internship with a company I used to work for um, up in uh, Boston. And it was a, like a management rotation or like what most people would consider like an internship or a residency, but it was required to graduate. And um, they offered me a job and I said, it was Charlotte. And at that time, uh, I believe like Black Enterprise or um, maybe Essence, some of those are, are like core Black magazines were identifying Charlotte as one of the next up and coming spaces for African-Americans. And so mm-hmm. I just said, hey, I'm going to go with it. Absolutely. Okay. It's interesting. Do you ever get a look from um, people? As like when you tell them that you're an entrepreneur and you tell them you have your own pharmacy, do they ever give you those like look of like disbelief or anything when you tell them so at times? Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially I think with the um, space in which I chose to go into, like when it comes to healthcare, mm-hmm. we're such a regulated industry. Um, a lot of times right. we don't see um, a lot of blacks or African-Americans like actually um, doing their own thing in that space. Absolutely. So people are usually um, kind of like taken back. Um, by it. Um, for me personally, I felt like um, I, I was sharing this with someone um, the other day. Uh, when I opened the pharmacy, it was crazy because I, I didn't think that it would be anything with what it is today. Mm-hmm. I just really thought that um, the we would serve the community. We we're going to educate the community because that was going to be our core always. But I was thinking that um, this is what it would be, you know, right. and then it kind of just took off and it just started growing. And I started to see people on the internet, like, you know, saying, 
that um, I inspired them and like I gave them hope. And to be honest with you, like that was scary because at that, yeah, at, at that time I wasn't really ready to to be responsible for inspiring other people because I felt like the pressure was on and mm-hmm. I didn't want to let my community down right. or is to see so many like young people be inspired by what was going on. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked to my friends about it. I like, I would read, um, it's, we were always like into this day, like every few months we would go viral and when we would go viral, um, you know, you would get caught up in reading the comments, some people. And of course, a lot of people are very inspired and have great things to say. Then you have the people who feel that because I work in the healthcare industry, um, pushing the white man's agenda. Mm-hmm. And like, here it is, like my job is to educate individuals on like medications aren't bad. Like, you know, medications mm-hmm. are necessary in some cases. And here at my pharmacy, our job is to educate patients, let them know their options and why medications may be necessary. And if they do take medications, how to use them properly and accordingly, right. you know? Um, so you would find yourself like caught up in those comments sometimes or whatever, of course, um, never, never respond, but right. you know, exactly. after yeah. a while you just stop, stop reading. My friends always say, don't, 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 you know. But it's hard sometimes to not read those comments because it's, uh, some of them are interesting, like you're saying, you get a, some of them make you laugh, some of them um, will upset you, but it's those, like you were saying, that when people tell you that you're an inspiration, that makes you feel good. And like, even with us, like people inbox us and say, hey, ask questions about how do you start a podcast, or we love what you're doing. Like people, and sometimes like the people that you don't even know who's watching. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. recently a guy came up to me and told me he loved what I'm doing. Um, one of my, Actually, one of my old classmates. And another guy, they were like, man, we're proud of what you're doing. Just keep going. And people, I didn't even know were watching what I'm doing. And it just makes you feel good to know that you're inspiring people. And maybe they want to try to, uh, you know, so I, I'm all about helping people out and giving them a, a helping hand and sharing advice with them. Because I mean, you never know. It's all about, for me, it's all about a greater purpose, and, you know, mm-hmm. pulling people up and showing them that they can do something. And absolutely. And I think that when you have that mindset, like it's crazy the, um, the limits in which you will go and um, how far you would go. Like I tell individuals, like, um, I like to say that um, I am a, I, I'm a believer. So like I, and when I say belief, I think belief basically eliminates the, I don't like to say thinker because Mm -hmm. when I think when you think, um, you kind of put a boundary on or a capacity on how big your thought could be. Like it, cause like, if you're gonna think it, like your your, your thoughts has guidelines. Mm-hmm. But to me, to believe it means that to to believe is a more open ended space, mm-hmm. and you leave areas. All you have to do is I believe that I'm going to be successful. And when you say that, you like this is success here, and all this area that that leads there it's going to be like some some great things that can happen and it leaves like a lot of room for the possibilities like you know even when i thought that when i was opening the pharmacy um if you look at our logo it's just the two p's mm-hmm. and it was premier pharmacy and i was actually i had already had the logo made all that stuff and i was filling out the artist of articles of incorporation and i decided the last minute to add on and wellness center and when i added on and wellness center um in my mind 
I seen something bigger than just a pharmacy. pharmacy. I wanted something that was going to be, uh, I didn't know what the wellness center was going to contain at first, but I knew that it would be something, um, it, it was going to have enough opportunity for us to grow. Mm-hmm. And I, we ended up partnering with a nurse practitioner that actually, you know, run, we ended up running a full functioning clinic that pers- um, provided um, affordable healthcare to our community and others. So therefore, like, um, it was a great, you know, leaving that um, opportunity was uh, left room for growth. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I never thought that within the five years that we would grow to the company that we are today. We have like about, um, we have over 10 employees. We have, um, I have two full-time pharmacists that work uh, for me. Um, and part-time, part-time pharma, two part-time pharmacists, and then there's myself who I'm also a pharmacist as well. So um, awesome. I don't really work as much on the floor anymore. But the fact that we grew from three employees to like having that team, um, it, it's, and it's it's amazing to see how you guys are still standing the test of time. So that's I, I love to see that. I want to go back to something else you said talking about uh, the comments when people were talking about pushing the white man's agenda. Of course, it's always out there. Um, but I want, I saw a post that you had in in the stigma post. Um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this part right here. It says, "Taking medication doesn't make you weak. Recognizing you need additional support and discussing with healthcare provider is a strength." Talk a little bit more about that comment, that post, and um, like the misperception of working in in, in this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that um, our the millennials we're kind of getting we're, we're kind of like. Um, on board with what that post stands for. And that means like um, being open to all the possibilities of what um, being well could be or what, what it means to be uh, to be well. Mm-hmm. And we don't like to say healthy because to me like health kind of like identifies one term and sometimes health can have like a, either, either you're healthy or you're not. And to me, wellness is more of a spectrum and to be well, you could be on your way to being well. So um, with that, we like to tell individuals that you, we like say, for instance, if you are having issues with um, coping where you have anxiety or something like that, or maybe you went to, um, you're in the military and now you're back out on site and you got um, PTSD, PTSD and like you take medications to help you cope with that or to organize your thoughts or whatever, like that's not, that that doesn't mean that you are, you know, a bad person or I think in our community, especially the African-American community for so long, we've, you, we've used terminologies like, oh, that person has, um, that person has issues or that person mm-hmm. is special needs it's or crazy, that person yeah. is crazy and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where like their medications are here for a reason. Medications mimic what's naturally going on in the body. And there's a reason why your body is not doing that natural reaction mm-hmm. and you know sometimes they take medication to stimulate those natural reactions that your body would normally have um and you know some people say well you could do the same thing with um you know with valerian root or with this but sometimes individuals are are so far off the spectrum of wellness that you can't do that with valerian root mm-hmm. like one um herbal supplements and uh, vitamins and minerals, those are not, um, those are not um, FDA approved, meaning that those items are made at a, at a regular space and they have no necessarily guidelines. Like, so we can say that you're getting 10 milligrams of valerian root or whatever, 
But who's to say that the capsule that you're taking has 10 milligrams of valerian root in it? Mm. You don't really know because like those, there's no regulating body that really regulates what's in those. So you can be taking grass or dirt or whatever it is, you know. However, there is for those ones or those who are listening, if they are taking vitamins and minerals, recommend that you find something that's USP approved. And USP is not a mandatory body, but that's something that sometimes manufacturers of vitamins and minerals allow to come in to sample their products and to weigh out their active ingredients and stuff so that they can let the individuals and the public know that our products are what we say they are. Right. And, you know, so that's why, you know, um, those supplements and stuff is not for everyone, you know, and you can transition, you can start off on medication and maybe once you are, you know, on a, higher level of the spectrum of wellness, maybe you can transition to that. Mm -hmm. But it's not, you can't do that. And you can't, um, because that's why we have individuals who are uncontrolled when it comes to whether it be their blood pressure, mental health, whatever it is, mm -hmm. people are uncontrolled um, due to the fact that others around them are saying, like, this is bad. Right. Because it's a, it's a misperception. Um, that I, that's why I asked the question about a misperception and the stigma, because of course, you know, people like I've, I've heard things like medicine that you take is going to make you feel better for a little while, but it still breaks your body down and you get sick all over again. Or we had a, um, one of my coworkers we talking one day and said that um, he knows some people that um, it was a, a fatal incident that happened at one of the other companies, not our location, but another one. And they were saying just start talking about depression. And some people were saying sometimes when you take medicine for depression, it makes you actually feel worse. So that's why I was asking that question about like, is it a misperception? And do those things actually do happen when you take medicine that they can't actually have a negative impact on you as well? Yeah, I wouldn't say they have a, a, a negative impact on you, um, but there is like a period where when you first start to take a medication that you are going to experience, you may actually experience being even sadder for the first mm. seven days or so. But that's definitely something that you go to the right pharmacy, they're gonna tell you. You may go to the right doctor. They're going to tell you, you know, you go. That's why it's important that you pick the people that are caring for you, you know, that you are open and that you can have that dialogue conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that it's so important that we have African-Americans in the healthcare space that can that are here to protect you and that are here to have that conversation with you. Um, and um, so just like I mean. If you talk to anyone, uh, any you know, young lady that's taking birth control that may switch birth controls, yeah, they, um, and during mm -hmm. when they go through that phase, they'll tell you that you know they're acting, they act very strange during a certain um, time or whatever. But it's all about there's shifts and changes in the chemical balance of hormones, which is the natural response of the body. Mm -hmm. So when we're trying to correct your chemical levels so that you can, um, your mood can be lifted, there is a a, a, a time where that could be very confusing and, and you could experience more anxiety or more depression, but we're letting you know that so that you know when you are experiencing that, that it's going to go away in a couple of days and you're going to be just fine. Right. Do you worry about, um, and I know a lot of people study Dr. Sebi, some people Dr. Sebi, um, like plant-based, you were saying, do you worry about maybe people going that route? Would that have any kind of like impact on this industry, on your industry? Yeah. Um, on the phone? Um, 
Yeah, pharmaceutical um, industry. Uh, of course, yeah, definitely a, the pharmaceutical industry would um, impact um, being that more individuals are using, I guess, like plant-based items or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, however, like I said, some individuals um, are like, and I support, we are here, um, our mission is to educate. So we don't, here, we don't just, we're not just pushing medication on you. Right. We're not, what we're telling you is that if you're going to use the medication, this is how you should use it. This is what you should uh, expect from using it. And this is like, and if you're not um, expecting this or you're not experiencing what you should expect, then we should revisit the situation, maybe change what you're doing. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, we're trying to customize what you're doing, you know? And so all individuals aren't ready for um, um, Dr. C.V., um, what he is, what he studied and what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too is um, the amount of, a lot of people, say that but they aren't even willing to put in the work that it takes for you to right. even do that like for you like a lot you know a lot of people talk about being in an alkaline state and stuff like that um and i know that's a big thing now the basis behind all that is completely accurate and true and dr C is a, is a great scientist and he and he's right on what he's talking about as far as like um how diseases can't survive in an alkaline state you know we we uh, rely on acidic environments for um, diseases to fester and for things to happen. However, with the with the basic human diet and the way that it's going, individuals can they I mean they can barely stick to a diet for That's seven true. days. Yeah. So it's like impossible for you really. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it takes a, a lot of work and dedication yeah. for you mm -hmm. to actually live by that lifestyle. And it probably depends on the, the person and how what supplements work best for them. But I do know a couple of people. Um, one of the ladies we interviewed recently, Dr. Uh, Lakeisha Hallman from the Village Market, she uh, she said for her it was more like a holistic approach mm -hmm. where she was just like she had her mind, her body all in the mm -hmm. right thing. And it was just like she uh, she was just vegan. Like she, she everything was plant based. Um, I had another friend. He said he since he went vegan, he told me that he doesn't get as sick as much. You know, oh, yeah. like maybe every once, very rare that he gets sick now that he's plant went plant based. And now, and, and I'm here to say that, like I believe in it 110. Mm percent -hmm. Like I believe that if you do take a vegan um, approach or to your lifestyle, you know what I mean. Like if you um, implement all those things, it is going to make you healthier. It's going to improve you. Um, overall, and hopefully you won't need the medications. But what I am saying is that there are some individuals out there who can't or does not have that mindset or willpower right. to do that, and the, those medications are necessary. And um, I'm here as an advocate to say that you know I believe in in both approaches, and both approaches are necessary. Um, but what we can't have is individuals um, jumping on one side of the bandwagon and saying that the other side is wrong, you know? Right, exactly. And then you have individuals who aren't, who need the medication, who aren't taking the medications. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, the young, um, right now, um, which may be a good segue into the coronavirus, but um, we talked about um, how um, a lot of people are worried about the coronavirus, but there's a lot of active cases of influenza or the flu that's going around, and like mm -hmm. over 5,000 people have died uh, recently just due to the flu, flu virus alone. Mm -hmm. And there was an individual, a mother, who was um, part of a Facebook group, and they told her not to administer medication to her child. Um, the six-year-old and the six-year-old passed away. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's so sad that that had to happen to the to the six-year-old he wasn't given a chance for 
um, you know, there's individuals, um, scientists that were created and made to put a lot of work into creating these drugs to help combat these things. And then, you know, um, we actually have access to that and we don't utilize our access or our mm -hmm. full resources. But instead, a lot of times we get wrapped up into the conspiracy theories and stuff. And right. we just get like, we start to do uh, research where we read the headline and then we go onto Facebook and we like, um, yeah. we make a fast clickbait versus yeah. like actually reading everything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, look at, start to look at these studies. Like when someone's posting things, like um, at the end of the page, I know you're in school. You had about 30 little lines at the bottom that told you where the articles, like where all the information was pulled from mm -hmm. 30 different articles. Start to read those articles, find out how many people is in this study. Because if I tell you that, um, you know, um, water cures the coronavirus, just water alone, and, you know, you go to find out that you click on the article and there was two people in the study um, and one person just happened to get you know, better and they was drinking water. Like, is that a true study? Can we really exactly. rely on that information? Like, and that's what we kind of have to start digging deeper at um, that whole thing. And I think that's what's dangerous because there's so much information out here. You can get a lot of the wrong information. Mm -hmm. Like you said, people will just read a headline instead of just clicking on it and actually taking the time to read the article. Once we see a headline, we just up and jump with it and, and, and that's it. But staying, staying with the coronavirus, um, Educate us as much as you can on this because this are we are we reading too much into what the media is talking about? Is like or is it like is it just a big is it being overblown or is it something that how serious is this coronavirus? Okay, yeah. So I think that the coronavirus is something to be taken serious. Um, do I think that it's going to like wipe out the world or like it's some kind of like uh, you know the flesh eating something or like that serious? No. Um, I think that the coronavirus is just, to me, the same seriousness as the flu mm -hmm. vaccine. You should take those same precautionary um, measures when it comes to it. But what we do have to realize is that what I'm saying is you don't want to be that person that says like, oh, um, I'm doing nothing in preparation for the coronavirus. However, you do want to take your take those precautionary measures to make sure that you're at least safe and your loved ones are safe and that you're not exposing others to the potential of having the coronavirus. And um, the thing is, with the coronavirus, um, there's a lot of respiratory issues that could potentially happen. Mm -hmm. And we know that when it comes to us, just our to us breathing and like you know those respiratory issues. Um, um, can be life-threatening. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, um, the quarantine is not because we, um, I think people are, the media is making it seem a lot worse than what it is. Mm -hmm. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to isolate individuals due to the fact that the onset of the symptoms um, displayed 10 to 14 days after you've actually been exposed to coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So therefore, think about if, Day 14, you find out that you tested positive for coronavirus, and now you have to backtrack and find out everybody who you've been Came exposed to, and then they have to realize, all right, come, everybody who was in contact at that facility due to the limited information that's known about the coronavirus and also due to the fact that how um, long the virus actually lives outside of the host. So therefore... Um, taking the precautionary measures. Like I think that the media is doing a horrible job at 
um, putting people in a panic mode. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, I, I just don't understand why some people are doing some of the things that they're doing. We need to, um, one, if you are sick, you know, stay home. Don't expose others to the potential sickness. Two, wash your hands, like, you know, constantly uh, wash surfaces. That Those are things that we should be doing anyway. Exactly. It's, flu, it's flu season. Like, it's like these viruses are circulating now. But the problem is, you know, um, if you get coronavirus, like, the chance that you survive is, is going to be great. You're like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's going to kill you. The people that are um, dying from the coronavirus, you know, have pre-existing conditions sometimes. And there may be a time where um, it may take out a healthy individual or something like that, just like the flu. But mm -hmm. we don't want to expose ourselves, like our grandparents or other people, to the potentially getting sick when they don't have to. Right. And um, because of the way that, I mean, how many times have you, you know, added a friend on Facebook and find out that you have three and four mutual friends and then you go and click on those mutual friends and realize that they probably have mutual friends and that's right. kind of like how the coronavirus is and why they're trying to quarantine individuals is mm -hmm. to, um, because of that huge delay in the onset and finding out when the person's actually positive, um, just trying to, to contain it so that we can actually treat it. Like, you know, and, and take care of those individuals and stop the spread, slow so, down. The so spread. it's kind of like another strand of the flu mm -hmm. in, a, in a way? Yeah, okay. exactly. Except for it has some like um, pulmonary respiratory problems, but you can experience those things with the flu as well. Mm -hmm. And it is possible for individuals to have the flu and coronavirus. It's like a lot of, I mean, the possibilities are out there, you know, but um, the thing is we can help ourselves by making sure that we are, um, you know, boosting our immune system, that we are like staying healthy. These are things that we should be doing anyways. Mm -hmm. um, taking a multivitamin daily, you know, um, your alkaline water, uh, the things that are high antioxidants that help boost the immune system, all those things, eating right. But once again, you can't be like saying Dr. Uh, you know, can't Dr. be like bashing um, Dr. CB, uh, bashing drugstores or, you know, individuals for um, having medicate or having um, giving patients access to medication, if you're going to be there, um, you're saying that you're going pro Dr. CB, but all your your diet consists of lemon pepper wings and right. fries all day. I mean, it just doesn't. Work. I love lemon pepper wings, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But what I'm saying is that, but because we love those things, that's why sometimes those diets don't work because right, like, right. when you start to introduce those like those things to the body. Like it does throw off the body's, um, you know, uh, pH, and mm -hmm. you can't, um, you know, it throws out of an alkaline state. You just can't do it, and that's right. what individuals don't understand. Like they just like they create these conspiracy theories, or they think everything is conspiracy, which is, you know, crazy. Um, you know, I, I for me, I just didn't really know what to make of it because it just, I just like, I really wasn't sure what it was, but to me, it was just kind of like weird and kind of. It's crazy to see how people were reacting to it because we, we work at um in retail. People were just lined up, lying wrapped around the building. The first thing they want to go buy is toilet paper and water. And it just I'm like, what what's going on? Is, is it really that serious? So I, I still didn't really know what to make of it. And hearing people say, like you said, like it was a just like another strand of the flu. Why are we closing down restaurants and, and things like that where you just mm -hmm. uh take out only and stuff like that. Yep. And that's to eliminate the degree of separation from the virus. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the whole purpose of like, if you quarantine for the 14 days, like say for instance, if, um, if 
we'll have all have access to each other right now and um we all were only hanging out with each other for the 14 days and what and somebody was to get sick well we know that now the people who all was in this quote-unquote bubble is the ones that potentially was exposed however if you were going outside and you were going to you was at this person's house who had a gathering and uh of 50 people and then you went to um, eat at the restaurant which um you know let's just say that you um i mean unfortunately you you know, you ate at this table and um, the person that was sitting at the table right over here, um, you know, you were just there. And now it's it's airborne, exactly. you know, and now that person was exposed to it. And then you find out this was on day three and then on four, you made several other stops like that. And then now day 14, you start to feel really bad. And then you go to the hospital and you get tested like, oh, you got coronavirus. And now... Mm. All those 50 people at that house party you went to need to get tested because they could have spread it. But think about how many people they came in contact with within that time days. that you did. Yeah. And they got, now it's the same thing, which is why you see the curve of the number of exposures going the way that it does. Mm-hmm. And of those 50 people, what if one of those people were taking care of their grandmother? Right. And now their grandmother, who can't, who doesn't have a strong immune system, and can't really fight it off like that because mm-hmm. this is something new. We don't even have a, a drug yet for it. Right. Where in the flu, um, in, in, in something like the flu, we have Tamiflu that you take it within, you know, the first three days of being exposed to it and you're good in five mm-hmm. days, you know? Um, so are, are we, sorry to cut you off. Are, are we preparing for this properly? Because I, I've been hearing things about people not having enough tests for the test people for the coronavirus. Are we actually preparing for this like we should be? Yeah, I think that one, if we if we stay home, especially right now, then we'll cut down on the number of people that need to be um, tested. Because once again, so now you were here and you went to the house party, so that's 50 tests we got to do here, mm-hmm. hopefully, if we can get in contact with those people. Plus the 50 people, uh, wherever they went within those days that it took for you to be, uh, to identify that you actually had coronavirus. You know what I mean? So now you're you're increasing like to the point where eventually everybody would have been exposed to it and everybody would have to get tested. And if, if half of the people had respiratory problems where we need ventilators for, um, for we would not have the capacity to treat those people, right. which is why they're trying to quarantine people to eliminate the possible contact with with, with the virus. And so it, it makes complete sense with why we need to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, the conspiracy theory and stuff like that, uh, all kind of crazy stuff. Um, more so, maybe the economy is gonna take a huge hit um, mm-hmm. with what's going on, you know? Right. Now. And like people like myself, like we are here to serve the community. Um, while everyone's at home on Facebook talking about what they're doing in their quarantine days, we're here because we have to take care of people. Absolutely. And that's kind of like how it works in healthcare. When we take an oath of being uh, a servant in the healthcare industry, you are saying that, you know what, I'm, you know, unfortunately I'm willing to risk my life for this. Mm-hmm. Have you guys had to make any kind of adjustments since the coronavirus? Because like we're saying, like with, with restaurants now, they're doing, um, take out only and a lot of other uh, stores, grocery stores. Now 
they're closing the stores a little bit earlier just so they can kind of sanitize and everything. Mm-hmm. Have you had to make any kind of adjustments since mm-hmm. the coronavirus? Yeah, like our um, our cleaning our cleaning schedule um, that we uh, have to do multiple times a day to eliminate um, the I mean from the door handles to like the I mean everything that you could potentially touch going to the bathroom the light switches the everything because of the, the time frame that it nece- that the virus could stay on those surfaces um, so yes we we've been increased our um, we've increased our um, curbside service. So we've asked patients who are sick to um, request that we bring it out to the car versus coming inside. Um, we've also, um, all of our senior patients, we um, we do free delivery anyways. We prepare all their medications to try to eliminate them from having to come out. Also, we've, um, we even put together some, um, um, some food baskets for our patients, um, like free of charge to them because we're very big when it comes to community service here. Mm-hmm. So when you are a patient here, like you are our family. Like Damn. we talk to these people. We <laughs> I seen one of my pharmacists um, posted today on their personal social media, they reposted something that we posted on our social media and it said like um it's asking patients like not to really stop in now and to congregate and talk because that's what our patients do. Like they they feel like they're our family and they come in, they hang out, they talk to us, like they um they're they're going through a health issue or maybe they just had a diagnosis of something and they want to um to talk about it. And we we're there for our patients. And so um yeah, so we definitely made adjustments when it comes to how we're gonna service the patients. Um today we made a decision um to We'll be closed on Saturdays um, for the rest of the month. Um, typically, we're open Monday through Saturday. However, being that everyone is at home, um, and so there's really no need for those who can't access the pharmacy during the week for them not to come now or for them to schedule delivery. Right. So we will be closing on Saturdays. My final question on the coronavirus, and then we'll, a couple more questions, and we'll wrap it up. Um, when do you anticipate... I know this, I've heard uh, July, August, but when do you anticipate this being over? Um, I think it'll be if everyone is com- like compliant with like trying to eliminate contact. Uh, I think we'll be done by um, by um, end of March, probably early April. If everyone is is do what they're supposed to do. But right. The problem is, of course, with millennials, um, we just like we feel. Like we can do whatever, and because we do all the um, the conspiracy theories and stuff like that, I think a lot of people are actually misunderstanding what they are saying about the whole July August thing. Mm-hmm. What they're saying is that the coronavirus impact will last until July and August, mm-hmm. meaning that those individuals who are not being paid right now, who are um, missing salaries and different things like that, it's going to take that long for them to regain stability, you know, from the, even like from supplies, like as simple as like everyone came out and bought up all the, the sanitary wipes and stuff like that. Like even those Mm -hmm. items for a business, for us to maintain a safe level of environment here, like what happens once we run out of those supplies to keep this place clean? Right. Like, you know, and that's what individuals don't realize that they're that they're actually doing the kind of hysteria that they're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's what I think that they mean by the July, August thing right. is that it'll take that long for us to fully um, 
recover, recover from. from. But I, I wish they would, like you said, in the media would explain that better instead the of just pushing. The media is here to make money. The right. media is here to report, to get you to tune in. And that's why a lot of people are um, don't understand that, that the media has a job, and their job is to excite. And right. that's why um, even I know our community was in outrage, an outrage with um, Gail and her, Gail King, Gail King and her yeah. um, conversation of the um, uh, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Yep. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, they got to realize that um, she was working and that's her job is to um, create dialogue. And if you know, like, I'm a big fan of The Breakfast Club, they have some no, the craziest Club. topics. But if you ever notice that there's three people in the room, you have uh, one that's left, one that's right, and one that's neutral. And that's how you create great dialogue for listeners. It doesn't really mean that the person who is actually doing the dialogue actually fully 100% believe in what, like, that's their side of the case. Mm-hmm. But they're just showing you how you could believe in something completely different, you know? And I think that, once again, as our people, we have to realize that we need to um, do research more. And mm-hmm. we got to, like, start making decisions for ourselves um, and everything. Like, um, you know, we had... Um, we hosted Oprah in January here at the pharmacy. And, um, you know, a lot of people were bashing her um, mm-hmm. about the uh, the trials and the and everything. Harvey and I think Weinstein. That, and Harvey Weinstein and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, once again, everyone has to, uh, until you ask questions personally or you do your own research, you don't understand why. Right. You know, and... Um, I, of course, I personally don't know why she chose to do certain interviews with certain people, but I do know it could be because certain people she had access to, or it mm-hmm. could be because like she personally felt some type of way about these particular people because they reminded her of what happened to her right. because her, you know, people were or what happened were black. You know, Absolutely. it could be so many different things, and I think that um, as a, a, a culture, sometimes we get into the habit of like. Um, quote unquote canceling people and doing all kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um and I would say like even as a business here, like I told you like how many times we've gone viral. We like my team, it's so like part of our norm now that we know that when we go viral that we're gonna have all these crazy like these mentions and stuff like that. People that say they're gonna support and they're gonna do all these things, but they we don't follow through. How many of them actually do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, it. we don't we don't follow through as a culture. Right. So like it's like it's like pointless. But um I mean it, it goes on and on. Like sometimes I mean I, we, I I have a lot of thoughts on some of these things, but um which this conversation I probably even this um interview I I share more or touch on more controversial topics than I typically even do or, or like to do right um just because i once again I, I just don't have time to go back right. and forth mm-hmm. um with, right um but a know, lot of these topics divides people is so many things mm-hmm. that you try to stay away from. I, I, yeah so mm-hmm. i just I've, I've learned to just like speak very surface level and and um, sometimes uh, I understand why sometimes people just click on that live button and go and go live and mm-hmm. talk about, you know, why, 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 you know, um, you know, like I'm sure here, like when we, this pharmacy, like Premier Pharmacy of Wellness Center was strategically placed here in this community 
for our community. And I think sometimes as a community, like some of our people think that we deserve, well, they'll say that we don't deserve less, but they accept less. Like, mm. for instance, like the, the store I used to work at, like one of the things that drove me up the wall with that store was the fact that like I was, I had a doctorate degree. I came to work every day. I'm like serving the patients and stuff, but I couldn't even have a clean bathroom to go to the bathroom in mm. whenever I was ready to uh, go to the bathroom. Right. And it's like, those are things that people take for granted. But, you know, when you're thinking in your, in your mind, like you always create in your mind that when I graduate, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go to school so I can get a good paying job so that I can be comfortable so that I could like, you know, have a nice place I can go to work at and blah, blah, blah. That's how we, that's what we think. Right. But you're putting these situations where like I've worked at, I had a home store that I was the manager at, but I would fill in at other stores, you know, around Charlotte um, so that um, I could make extra income, especially when I was planning to make my, ex- my exit. Um, and I could see the condition of those like stores and okay. how they treat depending upon the neighborhood that they were in and the population. Like, you know, we were always understaffed at my store and it wasn't because of like, we didn't have people that wanted to work. It was because they didn't allot you the budget or hours to hire people. Um, One of the straws that broke the camel's back was we had um, maybe a homeless individual or something um, like break the front window out to just steal some cigarettes out of the the front register area. Mm which I don't know why a pharmacy or a healthcare place was selling cigarettes. But um, once again... Might be strategically, that's why... Uh, Once again, I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't my place, so... Um, But it took um, two weeks for us. They they took, they cleaned up the glass, they put a a piece of plywood up um, and to to shield the door until Mm -hmm. they could get it repaired. Then the same thing happened um, about three miles over from us in another neighborhood and happened overnight just like ours but before the store actually opened someone was out there they had the glass replaced and, you know because they felt like the people that shopped at their store was they that's what they wanted and the people mm-hmm. that shopped at our at our store that location they were used to it but the thing is they never call and complain or do anything like that however you know which we don't have this issue but you have individuals um, that go into a Black-owned business and they would, um, they have like um, usually a misunderstanding or um, or whatever, and they will go and blast that business on Facebook and they will say all kind of negative comments mm-hmm. and stuff like that, um, you know, and we don't give ourselves the opportunity or the chance to, you know, to do anything, to correct anything, to support each other. And like, um, and and it, that just drives me up a wall sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, and so sometimes I see, like, I, I'm on Facebook or whatnot, and I'll see people that mention, like, for instance, I had, a, I seen someone that mentioned they were getting insulin from like CVS or something like that, and they were ranting about how much they had to pay for this insulin. Well, um, if you sell the insurance, your 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 drugs are going to be the same price regardless of where you go. Mm-hmm. If you're paying uh, like cash prices or uh, whatever, we've been proven that our prices are cheaper than a lot of other people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I battle sometimes with like, oh, do we go and rant and rave about um, how 
our community, like, you know, don't support the pharmacy or blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they go back and forth. But, you know, I find myself, I'm like, yeah, then people are going to think that you are ranting and raving about the fact that people don't support your business and, and you know, stuff like that. But it is not even about that. Like, it's, a, it's about the bigger picture of you creating something for your community. Mm-hmm. And imagine the power that it could have if everybody um, supported that. that um, like, I'll, I'll tell individuals, like, you know, we're not, and I don't say this to even be, which is why I don't get involved in the Facebook posts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't say this to, like, to be arrogant or anything like that, but, like, we're going to be fine whether you support us or not, you right. know? Like, we'll, we'll probably do $10 million this year. So we don't, we don't, we're not, this isn't about us not being able to survive because you don't support us. But this is more so about the fact that imagine the impact that we're able to make on the community here, like, and the individuals around us. And if you have to utilize a service that is very necessary, why can't your grandmother have one of these in their neighborhood exactly. that they can go and feel comfortable with and the people can relate to them and tell them about, you know, why this may be happening to them, you know, mm-hmm. and we make so many excuses as to why we don't, why we can't support, oh, because they're all the way over here, exactly. oh, because they're all the way over here, you know, whatever, but it's like, how often do you really like even go to the pharmacy? Exactly. You know, so it's like it, it's it's the crazy things like that that we, you experience over the fuck. We talk about this all the time about supporting each other, supporting black businesses, and because a lot of times, like we said, they think it's you lack quality, you think it's too high. But one thing about it, I'm gonna be clear. I, I love my people. I'm always ride for my people, but we do have to do better because those things, like those negative stereotypes of a black business do exist, but like you said, imagine if we did support each other mm-hmm. and and invest in each other. That's why we love to have entrepreneurs. We have we take any entrepreneur on. Let's be clear about that. But of course, we definitely like to see our people that are entrepreneurs because we want to push it to show people that um, that we can create our own opportunity. Mm-hmm. We can create businesses. We don't always have to be an athlete or an entertainer mm-hmm. because most of the time when you see us on TV. That's how they portray us as athletes or entertainers. And 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 no disrespect to ESPN, but one of my issues I started to have with them was all the time was when they played those, show those stories of certain African-American athletes, they always come from a broken home or somebody was in prison or something like that to that narrative. And it, and it portrayed us as like, man, we always come from dysfunction some kind of way. And it's not, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, we definitely have to like support our our black owned businesses. That's why I was like, I, I appreciate you inviting us and having us on because that was so important to have you on today. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I would, um, and, and I make it, I make it my mission. Like you said, we we invite, we welcome everyone. Our clientele here is fifty fifty. You know, mm-hmm. however, like um, it was created, you know, for our community specifically. Mm-hmm. But of course, we love and welcome everyone. But um, and and like my goal is because trust me, I have no intentions on operating multiple pharmacies. When we have this location, we have a, another location opening up in June, and awesome. that was a th- that was a push for like them begging me to open that second location. And it's more so because like I have like once again my my passion comes from community. 
and um, it's a lot of work. However, I do um, working on the franchise model of this, basically um, affording individuals the opportunity to to start these in their community, mm -hmm. so that we can have access to healthcare and access to services like we offer here. You know, because um, imagine if you don't live in the same city as your grandmother and she came to our pharmacy and we delivered to her. This week, eggs, bread, butter, cheese, um, you know, fruits and stuff so that she did not have to go out into the grocery stores and fight with other individuals on uh, for, for all those things, you know, and it was free of charge. Not because it's, it's because those individuals are our family, Absolutely. you know, we take care of them and that's how, that's how it should be. And Absolutely. you should want your people because like my family lives in Florida, so I want the community in which they stay in to take care of them. And so I believe mm -hmm. in you do good unto others and then you put it out to the universe and it comes back tenfold, which is why I believe that we were like, you know, blessed to be in the situation that we are in today. Absolutely. You know, um, like individuals asked me, I mean, it was so crazy. Like even when we had the whole um, Oprah experience, um, individuals asked me like, um, you know, for my consulting page, they were asking me, how did we contact you know, her, how did we, like, it was in the same sense of, oh, congratulations, how can I get in contact with this person? Wow. And it's crazy because it's like, and I replied back, I mean, we didn't contact her, she contacted us. So you do, you just continue to do what you're doing, and if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Absolutely. You know, and um, and, and, and that's the challenge that I, I, I tell individuals. And then even um, for those individuals who don't believe in, like, the Black-owned businesses, just to make sure that we're doing our part that, you know, um, even if the price is a little bit higher, like, I mean, the room that we're sitting in today, we had three uh, contractors come out to get quotes. Um, there was a Hispanic contractor, a um, white contractor, and a black contractor. And I ended up going with the black contracting group, uh, although their prices uh, was about five hundred dollars more than it than the other individuals, and so I did that. I never told the individual exactly why uh, or what, but when he asked me on the exit survey, he said, um, um, "So how was our pricing? Where did we come at in comparison to the other groups?" And I said, "Well, you were actually higher than the other groups." I said, "However, um, I wanted to support you. Um, I understand that." Um, your business is about a year old and the cut, the cost cuts and the discounts that you're able to offer comes with the volume that you're doing. Right. And if I don't support you, you'll never get to the volume where you can offer those lower prices and discounts. So exactly. if you can afford to, sometimes you do have to go the route of paying a little bit extra, you know, so that those businesses can grow into the individual, into the um, organization that can compete with your Walmart and your other um, jobs and stuff like that. And then also you're providing an opportunity for um, more people to be employed in the, in you know, in your community as well. So you have to think bigger and you have to do your part that's necessary in order for black and businesses. To exactly. Because if we don't support our own people, we can't, how do we expect other people to do it? Like we say all the time as well. Like we, we won't, if we go somewhere else, like if our prices are too high, we'll complain about our prices, mm -hmm. but somebody else, you don't know, you don't negotiate, you just pay, 
pay them whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things with our community, uh, with our African American community. But that's why we love um, when we had the gentleman on for two large turtle. We were telling you about um, one of the things that they talked about was uh, back then, like they were all they had because they grew up through civil rights and all, so they saw a lot. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, you know, back then they were all they had, so they had to stick together. They and even now they still stick together to this day, and they they always supported each other. And of course, they would buy outside of their community if they had to, but first they would try to check with their people to see if it was something that they can buy in their community first. But it's like I said, we definitely need to support our own people more. Um, but let's let's get ready to wrap it up. A couple more questions. If you can. If you could lay out a blueprint for success or, or, or entrepreneurship for people watching, what would you what would your blueprint be? I would say one, um, make sure that you do your research on the industry that you're planning to enter into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, identify where you fit in. You know, um, into that um, industry, like what you're bringing different to the industry. Or if not different, like why you over the other person is offering the same services. Um, That's one. Two, uh, finances. I would say make sure that your personal finances are in order um, before you attempt to go the entrepreneurial route because the entrepreneurial route can be a very um, tough route. Um, You know, you want to, um, like myself, um, I I did not receive a paycheck for about eight months when I worked um, here starting off. And even though I could afford to pay myself after about six months, I still, I held off um, paying myself. And then even at eight months when I started, um, when I was able to get a check, Mm -hmm. I paid myself, I believe it was like a fourth of my salary um, that I paid myself. And that was because I was investing, the reinvesting the money back into my business so that it can grow. Right. And so you have to be willing to make sacrifices for your business. So that's the one. Make sure your finances are in order. Two, um, three, if you want others to believe in your business, then you have to believe in your business. So you got to be willing to invest. And that could mean time, money, or whatever. It could mean a lot of different things that you have to invest. Like, you know, um, being an entrepreneur is not an easy um, thing to do. I remember when I first started, I was thinking to myself, like, um, individual said I was going to work more now than I did um, before. And I just didn't see it at first, but that was because I wasn't really putting my full potential into what I was doing. But the amount of like networking that you have to do, the relationships that you have to build, mm-hmm. you know, you're constantly staying creative um, so that you can try to create the next opportunity. Right. So that's going to be, um, you know, three. Um, and um, four, I would say that, um, so yeah, I, I would say that, you know, you do your research, find out where you fit in the industry. Uh, one, get your personal finances in order, your business finances. Um, uh, three, be willing to invest and to understand the, the, the growing pains of your journey. And that also may be a lonely journey as well and like even sometimes that even though you may be doing well in other areas of your life that there's still levels of sacrifices that you have to make on each level um you know so just be prepared for that and then um for i would say if if you want others to support you you have to support others 
So that means that like even when you are like dead tired and like, you know, when you don't really feel like doing it. I mean, there's a lot of times where I end up, you know, I don't want to do, you know, a podcast or I don't want to do, you know, a lot of different things. But when I look at when I go and visit the invitation to be on the podcast and I look at and read what this person is doing and I believe in them then you have to push through and do that as well, you know? So you got to remember that you have to pay it forward. And when you reach a level of success, it doesn't stop there because we all remember that, you know, success can vary day to day. I mean, even as we see what's going on with the coronavirus, one day one, we are, you know, cool and chill. Then day two, the world is in a panic. And that's why you have to stay in survival mode at all times and be remembering what you're going to do next. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, um, I want to get to your, uh, I forgot, I almost forgot to ask you about your foundation. Talk a little bit about your foundation as well. I forgot to ask you about it earlier. Oh, yeah. So um, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast about um, how I always grew up doing um, service and everything. And so when I, um, that was big for me when I opened up Premier Pharmacy, I wanted to be an organization that um, really did a lot with the community. Mm -hmm. And when I was explaining uh, the things that I wanted to do with the community, uh, it was told to me that my vision for what I wanted to do was going to require so many like man hours and everything that I did need to create a separate entity. So we created a 501c3 um, under my um, under Premier Pharmacy and under the Dr. Prince brand, which is just my foundation. And with that, we focus on total wellness. So it kind of has still had the same mission as the pharmacy as, as far as providing wellness, but we deal with total wellness. So we actually do um, financial like seminars, educational things mm-hmm. for individuals. We do mental health, um, education and uh, resources. Um, we also do our community outreach and resources. Um, and our, our total goal is to, and then our physical health as well. So like helping patients uh, afford healthcare uh, by offsetting the costs and different things like that. So our whole mission is to level the playing field by providing resources to the underserved. So um, we do things like our signature events are like our backpack drive. And we do it so that an individual, when we say leveling the, leveling the playing field, we're providing a backpack filled with school supplies so that you don't have to go to school and be a distraction to others because you're more so embarrassed that you don't have what's necessary for you to stay and do what you're supposed to do. So we give you that to give you that resource so you know, that you can go in with the open mindset and, and, and perform like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, like we have our annual scholarship luncheon and everything. Um, like last year we gave out $12,000 and all the students received iPads. Um, as well um that's like through our community outreach and our financial portion but our um foundation our main goal is to make sure that we're providing resources to the individuals to level the playing field and um one of my newest uh ventures that i have going is the creating legends brunch which uh, was supposedly scheduled for uh april 5th but Mm. it's being rescheduled to may 17th um, I wanted to launch it on my birthday um, as um, I've always donated my birthday to charity, but this Creating Legends brunch is basically what I see as a the Rock Nation brunch of bringing together powerful um, 
influential individuals in our community mm-hmm. and um, with a, like a springtime vibe like the Polo Classic, but 100% of the proceeds is going to uh, to charity. And it's all, it's called Creating Legends because the charities that we chose are all pouring back into the community of bringing up our younger generation so that they can be the legends of the future. And so we have like a social, um, criminal and social justice fund um, we're doing um, Thurgood Marshall College Fund, which we are um, giving to their scholarship fund for HBCUs. Um, we are dealing with uh, the Piedmont Sickle Cell Foundation as well, and then mm-hmm. my foundation with our scholarship fund as well. So uh, that day I'm bringing together um, over 200 people to brunch and um, just have fun and to um, give back to charity. Because I try to get individuals to realize that we it's our responsibility to make sure that the generation after us is prepared and okay mm-hmm. and to continue what we're already doing. Absolutely. I, I love it. That's all about this was about doing it for a, a bigger, a greater purpose and investing in, like you said, the future generations to come. My final question. So and we'll wrap it up. What is your ultimate goal? Um, my ultimate goal is to, um, to just basically be a, a beacon of hope to the community that um, to just to aid in the community and the growth of our community as um, as we see it. Like um, I think that so many individuals growing up pour into me, and I'm like so thankful for that. Um, I don't think I would be where I am if it wasn't for individuals that have like you know that maybe gave me. $50 while I was in college that helped went to my, my uh, electric bill and different things like that. Because those financial hardships, those different things are distractions to helping us be our best self, which is why I asked the people going down the entrepreneur route to eliminate those distractions. But um, so my goal is to just at least be a resource or a sense of, um, of what the possibilities are. Me coming from, um, you know, just a regular family um, and being able to just to do what I'm doing. Like, I hope I hope that it demonstrates to others that basically your possibilities are endless. Like, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And that's why I share with the fact that, no, I did not always have I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I didn't like always have a big dream of owning a business or anything like that. It's more so like. I believe that I could do it, so I did it. And I think that it's nothing special about me, about, you know, it's about your self-determination. And if you want to do it, you can do it. Now, it may take, it may be more challenging for you, and you may not have access to all the resources, like what, you know, I had access to at that moment. Mm -hmm. But I also, um, as, as you said, it was about me creating those relationships along the way, making individuals understand and believe me. And so I built my personal character, reputation, and credibility that allowed individuals to go on the journey with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Dr. Prince, I want to thank you. This is very educational. I love hearing your story. Um, We've had over, let's see, over 50 interviews, over 30 plus hours of content, but I think you were the first one as a uh, uh, owner of a pharmacy. So that was that was great because we we tackle we've had authors and we have athletes um we had restaurant owners we had a lot of people but this is the first one as a as a pharmacy has your own pharmacy 
um, on on this platform. So I really enjoyed this. This is very different from all the other um, interviews that we've done. Very educational. Um, I, I know people will enjoy, especially with everything that's going on now. So of course, they're definitely anything they need to know is is in here. Any information. So before we get out of here, can you please tell everyone how to find you? Yeah, um, so you can actually find me on Instagram at Dr. Martez Prince. Um, that's M A R T E Z P R I N C E. And it's just Dr. Martez Prince. You can visit my website, drmartezprince.com. If you visit my website, you can click on links to the foundation, um, which is Premier Foundation of North Carolina, um, the pharmacy, which is Premier Pharmacy and Wellness Center. Um, if you Google us, it will come up. Um, We've been featured in a lot of different articles, and I just ask that you read the services that we actually offer so that you can see what we're doing for the community and, like, how, um, you know, we are trying to end the stigma of um, by encouraging individuals who do take medications to use them properly. Absolutely. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. This has been a very educational and inspirational episode of Cross Line Podcast, so make sure you guys Check this out when it releases. Actually, and you also you can find us on Instagram at CarlosSmith92 and CrossTheLine underscore. So until next time, keep chasing your dreams. This is the Cross the Line podcast. Thank you for listening.